Welcome to Edgewood Church's Sermon Audio. This is uh, sermon number 15 out of the Gospel according to Luke. I want to start with uh, uh, just a mention of Luke chapter 3 before we pray. I just want to mention something at the end of Luke chapter 3. There's a genealogy, and I know that my mother-in-law loves genealogies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that she's not alone, right? There's a lot of you who find those things super, super interesting and amazing, and they really are. In fact, I want to share with you a, a little side story. Um, there was a Bible translator that was working in Papua New Guinea. I wish I had all the details I could share with you. I, I can find it for you. But he was working in uh, Papua New Guinea, translating the Word of God into their language. And this particular translator, he, he was doing Matthew. And Matthew also has Christ's genealogy. And so he thought, and it starts off with that. And he's like, well, just trying to save time. He initially skipped that and started, but then they got to the end. He's like, oh, I need to put it in. We did the whole thing. I need to put it in there. And so the, he goes back to the beginning. He starts working through it with the, the people that are there with him. And, uh, and many of them that are helping him with the translation, they're completely new to this gospel message. And so when he went back to the beginning and he started going through this, and they're getting the names and trying to find a way to translate those names into their language, you'll be able to write it down. Uh, they, they all kind of started, he said, he noticed that they were all kind of like, well, hold, hold up a second. He's like, what, what, what's the matter? And he goes, that he said that those people were like, wait, you're telling me these were real people? He's like, yeah, I've been telling you. I mean, he was like, yes, I've been telling you that. But it didn't sink into them. He's like, we, they were like, we do that. We keep, like, this person beget this person, this person, like, you know, this one came from this one. I'm the son of this person who's the son of this person. And so when they started doing that, they're like, wait, he was real? Yeah. And that's one of the essential elements of looking at these genealogies as understanding that we're not talking about myth. We're talking about reality. We're talking about history. And as we've been looking at Luke, Luke stands as one of the preeminent, by all standards imaginable, one of the preeminent ancient historians that we could ever read. And he includes this genealogy. Um, there's some differences between Matthew and Luke's genealogy, and there's some amazing understandings and reasons for that. I thought about spending a whole day just talking about that. I'm not going to. I'm going to move on to the next. In fact, I thought about just playing for you. Um, I don't know if the sound will come through or not, but just playing for you the genealogy. I don't think the sound is on, is it? No, that's okay. Um, I thought about playing because the, the thought of getting up here and trying to read to you all these names, I was like, eh, maybe better not. We'll let Paul do that one of these days when he's here. We'll, we'll let him come up here and read the names for us. Um, but there's a lot of interesting things and interesting elements as to why this is. But the important one I want to bring back to you from Luke is that Luke, unlike Matthew, Luke goes all the way back. He goes beyond. He goes, he goes back to David. He goes back to Abraham. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He goes all the way back to Adam. And one of the reasons for this is Luke wants you to know the reality of Christ's humanity. It goes a step further than that as well. Because Luke wants you to know that Christ is coming as the second Adam. He's coming as a man. This is hugely, hugely important. Before I jump into what's going to happen next, I want to remind you of what just happened in this book, and then we're going to pray. 
Luke, as he's introducing Jesus, what does he do? He says, he's going back and forth between John and Jesus. John and Jesus. Then he has, he has Jesus. He has John. He goes back to, to Jesus. Then he goes back to John. And then now as he shifts away from John for the last time into Jesus, he says, here's the baptism. Right? Here's his baptism. At the end of the baptism we talked about last week, what was one of the things that this voice from heaven said? Does anybody remember? This is my beloved son. Keep that phrase in mind. This is my beloved. So there's a voice. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Luke then goes right from that son of God into humanity, works his way through to show that he is human, right? And he ends son of Adam, son of God, right? He gets to the end of this this part as well. And then he goes right from this to this next story, and this is going to be hugely, hugely important. So let's pray, then we're going to get into this next, this is like the introduction to Jesus' earthly ministry. We had the endorsement, we're going to this next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, God, for all the good that you have done and we've praised you for today. But Lord, I pray now specifically that you would guide my words as we look at your word. Lord, I pray that you would steer me into a direction of understanding as I present these things and let it be truly what you would have heard today. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I'd like to give you an illustration. Come over here to the piano. I don't play the piano, by the way. I'm going to come over here and do this. I asked Ashley to give me a quick lesson. I want you to think about how the Old Testament people moving into the New Testament, how the Jewish people would look at this thought of Messiah, Savior. Okay? Messiah's coming. And so with each person through the Old Testament, there's a lot of them that you see, and you see glimpses of maybe this could be the one. I want to illustrate that with some, some notes on the piano. So imagine King David. Imagine people watching. Imagine people looking back on King David's life later. Imagine it, right? Can you hear it? And, and I'm going to do some notes, right? So you see King David's life unfolding. In so many ways, could this be him? Oh, how can I make this lat, like drag out? Can I push a pedal down? Okay, ready? Okay, now, you know King David. Did it, did it pan out perfectly in King David's life? Isn't there some big major thing that happened in his life that was like that? Yeah. Bathsheba? How about Moses? You guys know Moses, right? Moses. I mean, what an amazing leader. Led the children of Israel out. Anybody remember what happened in the life of Moses? At one point, he loses it, doesn't he? In such a way that God says, you're going to take them all the way to the edge, but you're not going into the promised land. So again, another person, historically. Right? What about Adam? Let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> okay, that, that, went, that went quick. How about King Solomon? King Solomon, I mean... Son of David, we already had some additional messianic type thoughts coming from, from you, God had told David, from you is going to be one whose throne will last forever, King Solomon. That, he had a lot of wives. 
and it led him into a lot of trouble. What you're going to see in the importance of the story of Jesus is this. And this is where I wish I had some actual piano abilities. Because in the life of Christ, we're going to see this played out. You're going to hear him in entering... Oh, pedal. The ministry. And at this point, I would break into a song. <laughs> because that is precisely what we're going to see in this story. Okay? Jesus, fully man, is about to be tempted. And not tempted... Uh, now, he's going to... Don't get confused. This is not going to be the only time he's tempted. I don't want you to think that. He's tempted through, just as we are, the scriptures say, yet without sin. Imagine this moment here being when Satan says, I'm getting out the bazooka. <laughs> right? pulling all the stops, everything I've got at this man, Jesus. Because if he sins, if he sins, it all falls apart. How can he be the Savior if he sins? So let's take a look at Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, oh, I was going to pray before we started. Let's pray. Did I already pray? I did already pray. Yeah. We can pray again. Let me pray again. I feel the need. I feel the urge to pray again. I I think I feel that urge because when we're going to read this first verse, notice twice the Spirit is mentioned. Okay? That's going to be important. Understand that what Jesus faces next is not something where he stepped outside of God's will. It's something where he's completely within God's will and he faces these things. He's full of the Spirit and he's led by the Spirit. Luke says, I'm going to pray again. God, I pray now that you would help us not to miss any part of this as we look at Christ entering in, full of the Spirit, and by your Spirit facing this temptation. God, I ask that you'd help us to learn the lessons we need to learn from it. In Christ's name, amen. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, so we're thinking of that baptism, and was led by the Spirit, so he's full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Those ought to ring some bells of reminder of historic biblical ideas. Being tempted by the devil, the uh, Greek word devil is diablos, slanderer, slanderer. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, because he was a man, a human being, as you can only imagine, I can't imagine this fully, 40 days, as you can imagine, he was hungry. Just like the children of Israel, who were tested, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, they were were also called the, the sons of God, taken out to the wilderness, tested for 40 years. They failed. Christ is now being tested as the true child of God. Philip Ryken, one of my commentators, said this. He says, just as the children of Israel were tested, so also was Jesus, the true Israel, would be tested in the wilderness. There he would do what God's people had failed to do, live in grateful obedience to God. And if you read the Old Testament, you read the children of Israel in Israel, it's 
it's like they're not hitting any of the keys sometimes. But because of this genealogy, going back to Adam, we can add this. And here's another commentator going, quoted by Philip Reich, and his name is Michael Wilcock. He says, he is in fact going right back to the beginning, back to square one. He is the new Adam. In Eden, the head of the human race was confronted by the tempter, disobeyed God's word, and set the whole, and set the whole of mankind off on the wrong track. Now comes the second Adam, and alone in the wilderness, he, in his turn, confronts the tempter. The difference is that he will win. He will be the totally obedient man, man as he was meant to be, man who is altogether righteous, man who never loses his relationship with God through sin. When I think about this reality in connection with his hunger, well, let me read one more quote here before we get into this. Daryl Bach adds this piece of information that I love. I'm going to tell you right now, I love this. If you let yourself soak into what this is saying, I love this. So Jesus fasted for this period, and at the end of it, he was hungry. Jesus' situation at his test contrasts with Adam's. Adam had not fasted at all. While Jesus had suffered lack for 40 days. Adam could eat of, from any tree in the garden but one. So Adam's in a situation like, you can have any of them but this, but this one. Jesus is in a situation, he's out in the wilderness, like, withdrawn from all food. Adam was in paradise while Jesus was in the wilderness. He makes a comment here, certainly if environment was a determining factor in overcoming temptation, Jesus was playing at a disadvantage. The devil made his move with Jesus in this exposed condition. Now, let me tell you why I love this. It has a feel... It has a feel of Jesus saying, I'll take you with one arm behind my back. That's the feel I get from it. Right? I'm going to face this, and I'm going to do it at a disadvantage. Obviously, no arrogance in the Son of God. That's just me. That's what it feels like. It makes me like, Jesus does it. The devil shows up to him. What was, what was the thing that God had just told him a little while, a little while ago? Right at the baptism. He comes out. What was it? This is my beloved son. This is my son. This is my, this is my son. Listen to how Satan initially confronts the son of God. Do you see that word if in there? It reminds me of Eve being tempted. The tempter comes to Eve and says, did God really say? Is, this, is that not how often we are tempted as well? Did God really say, is he really going to take care of you? Is he really going to do this? If you really are, are you really in his good graces? Are you really, I mean, doesn't he start by so often just questioning? Christ, his question, if you're the son of God, and I would have fallen at this one right here, by the way. Command this stone to become bread. I mean, if, you're, if you really are. I, I think the temptation is hinging on the hunger. Satan's working that in. But I think the real issue at stake here is this, really? You're out here. You're starving. God led you out here by the Spirit. He's not going to take care of you. 
He's not going to take care of you. You ever face those kinds of temptations? There, there, there's, the, there's times where, now understand, people tend to try to go down these other avenues of thought, like, well, what about, what about, what about? But there's times where you clearly know that God is saying, just wait. So let's focus on those for a minute, where you're like, I know God is just saying, just wait. And you could, you could take it out, where the thing itself, I mean, it is, I mean it's, it's not really sin to make stones into bread for Christ. I mean, in and of itself, I mean, I could see how he could, like, in my humanity, I'd be like, well, it's not really sin to, right? But he knew. Wait. This is a temptation of God's provision. Will he do it? If you, if, if you really are who you say you are, will he do it? Does Jesus cave? I mean, he's hungry. When I get hungry like this, ask Charity. I, I got one thought on my head. Mm, food. You've heard the phrase hangry? Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing sometimes. I get a little hangry. And, and like, you know, I got the glasses on where I'm looking at people and they're looking like giant chickens, you know. <laughs> Walking around. I can't think about anything else. Does Christ cave? No, he does not. And he quotes a passage that comes right from Israel's own wilderness wanderings and things that they ought to have learned. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. There's bigger, more important things than just this. Man should not live by bread alone. Matthew has the same story. He includes the fact that Jesus also said, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's because it's a quote from Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Think about, think about what this passage is saying. He humbled you and let you hunger. Before he fed, you, fed them with manna, what did he do? What did God do with the children of Israel? He humbled them and let them hunger. So when you have times where you're like, but I really need, I really want, I really, I'm, you're hungering for something, is it possible that maybe God is saying, I'm doing that? Not every time, but remember, we're focusing on, see, that's, that's, that's our human tendency. Yeah, but what about in this situation? Where, okay, let's set those just aside for just a second, because there's some times where you know God's saying, just wait. Just wait for my provision. Let me provide this for you. And you're like, I know that's the case. I know it's true. Do it. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. He, he did something. He provided you in a, for you in a way that you never could have imagined is what it's saying. Why? That he, may, he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Christ faces temptation Understand, Jesus is operating in his humanity by the power of the Spirit. When he faces these things, to put it bluntly, he faces it like a man. Not calling upon anything that would be outside of the scope of any human being to call upon. He's got the Spirit of God, he's got the Word of God, and he faces these temptations. 
Let's listen to the second one. There's going to be three. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Can you imagine this? I, I can't quite fathom what this, was, what, what this looked like. Did Satan just, you know, snap? We're staying on the pinnacle of this building. Snap, we're here. We're going to, you know, at this city in this place. You know, how did he do that? I have no idea. It doesn't tell us. And Satan says to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So Satan claims that all this authority and their glory of the kingdom has been delivered to him. And in some sense, there's some truth to that. There's some passages of Scripture where Satan says those things, or that's said of him. He's the ruler of this world, for example. But the reality is, when you get to those passages of Scripture, they get to the end of it, the, the summation, the final analysis, you learn that he can't do anything outside of God's permission. So it's a ridiculous claim. It's a ridiculous claim. Think about the ridiculous nature of it. He's talking to the one who made all this stuff. Satan is a, as it says in John 8, 44, Satan is a liar and full of lies. One of the pastors I listen to, his name is Thabiti Inabuile. He says, the moment we begin to entertain whether or not Satan can deliver on our promise, we're already losing the spiritual battle. His point being, do we even go down that path? Do we even go down that path? I think that we face similar temptations to this all the time. Versions of it. This one's unique to Jesus. Satan is not offering any of you all the kingdoms of the world. But sometimes he does offer you a shortcut to establish your kingdom and get your picket fence up. Doesn't he? And again, people go, well, what about, what about, let, let, let's, let's think, let's focus in on the things you know. God has said no. To go that route would be to bend the knee to the ways of this world and to deny your God. You know that's true. But I really want this in my life. I want this, this stability or I want this relationship or I want this other thing here. I want, I want these things and I want, I want them now. You start to sound like that girl from, you know, what is it, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I want to know, I want it now, right? I mean, that's, that's what you, now, I want it now. And you know, with many of these things in the depths of your heart, and again, let's focus on those. I'm more than happy to talk about the other ones. You're like, well, what about this situation? What about this situation? But I have found that 99% of the situations we face, most people know exactly what God is calling them to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. These, are, these things are wrong. Don't do those things. But because many times, exactly what we want, we want this thing. We want this picture of what we want our lives to look like when we step outside of God's will to get it. And in essence, we bend the knee. Jesus answers him, verse 8, again with Scripture, again from Deuteronomy and Israel's wilderness wandering. 
Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That is a quote from Deuteronomy 6.13, which says, It is the Lord your God, you shall fear him, you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. It's him and him alone that you bend the knee to, to do his will. And how does Christ battle this temptation to go this, take this shortcut? Because it is a shortcut. Especially for him. Because you know where he's at today? Sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father, reigning and ruling on high, all authority has been given to him. He could have skipped the hard stuff and got to it there. Not really. But that was the temptation. Why does he not do it? Because only he will not act as the, in his humanity. He will never act outside of the scope of God's will in everything that he does. This isn't my notes, but think about that for a second. You, you want to make decisions in life? You're like trying to figure out what to do? Sometimes I've found it very easy to just say, is this what God would have me to do? And it's surprisingly, quite often, there's things, I mean, once again, I know, people like to bring up, well, what about this thing here where I can't, let, let, let's set those on the back shelf for just a moment. There's some things you know full well that is not God's will for you to do. Don't do it. Battle it with Scripture. Only God do I serve in this life. I'm, I'm going to serve Him and Him alone. Satan next comes to him, third time. Right? Satan's like bazooka, rocket launcher. Right? And he gets out the big guns. Right? He's, he's desperately. In fact, you see Satan's desperation to try. This, all, the big guns are out. What's he say? And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, if you are. This is fascinating what he does next. I think this one is going to hit home for some of you, like boom, right there. If you are the son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Satan tries to pull out some scripture. Stupid. The author of life, the one who is known as the living word of God, he's going to try to, idiot. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. That's true, that's in there. He's not, he's not making this up. And, and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. If you're really the son of God, Satan's like, I, I, I know what the texts say. If you're the son of God, go do this. This comes from Psalm 91, 11, and 12, where he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. You ever have Satan pull this quick on you? God is forgiving. If you're really, if he's really forgiving and you're really a child of God, then you can do this thing and you just add, say you're sorry later. He'll forgive you, right? He'll do that. God is loving. He's right. He's loving and he is forgiving. Something off there, isn't there? 
Notice that Jesus' response, again from Deuteronomy, pinpoints the exact issue where Satan is tempting him to go astray. Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's no. You shall not do this. Deuteronomy 6.16 you should not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him. He's talking about the children of Israel again at Massa, where they tested God in his grace. I feel like the very next verse is the tail between the legs view of Satan. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I get a little yip, yip, yip sound. <laughs> Leon Morris, I don't have this one up here for you, but Leon Morris, uh, another commentator, says, throughout these temptations, no special resources open to Jesus. He met temptation in the same way as we must by using Scripture, and he won the victory. And Jesus returned and the power of the Spirit to Galilee, still in the Spirit. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, there are three lessons that I would like to give you, and I'm realizing that my notes haven't updated, so they don't, I don't have them in here, but I think I can do this from memory. There are three lessons that, uh, let me see if I can pull them up somewhere else here. Hang on. I think I can do this. Ah, yes, I can. Here we go. The first lesson is this. Now, I'm going to tell you, these are long. So if you'd like to take notes and I go too fast, you can get them later. There are three lessons. The first one is this. The temptation to sin, I believe, is... I think it's always short-sighted and not eternal in its view. The temptation to sin is short-sighted and not eternal in its view. If you think back through these examples, and I'm going to read um, another quote. This is that Thabiti and Ebule guy. He says, In his own time and in a way that glorified the Father, Jesus received everything that Satan tempted him with. Jesus would miraculously produce bread for the hungry masses. He does that eventually, doesn't he? Obtain all authority and splendor in heaven and earth through the cross and resurrection and receive the service and worship of heaven's angels as he rules at the Father's right hand. Beloved, the best way to fight temptation is to realize we may receive what tempts us in a holy way if we wait on God's timing, trusting him. In a very real way, Many of our temptations are simply short-sighted and they're not eternal in how they view things. That's lesson one. Lesson two. Lesson two comes from the reality that Christ relies on God's word. Let me put it this way. Overcoming temptation by the power of the Spirit of God happens when wielding the word of God. So overcoming temptation, we see this illustrated by Christ. In many ways, what he faced is unique. 
as the Son of God, but in a very real way, he's setting up an example. This is how it's done. And notice with each time, he doesn't just say, get out of here, Satan. What does he say? The Bible says. Here is a Jesus full of the Spirit, and as he's full of the Spirit, he doesn't just say, get out of here. He says, the Scriptures say. I always think of a verse I was required to learn as a kid. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I always think about that reality, like storing up God's word. And, and for those of you that have been in the faith a long time, you know the very real reality of that. Times when you could have, you, you feel that temptation come, but because you have endeavored to know God's word, the spirit brings those things up to your mind. And some of you know that so, so well, but we see it illustrated in the life of Christ right here. How does he battle temptation? If he battles temptation that way, ought we not to do the same thing? How do you go through the Spirit by wielding the Word of God? They work together. They're joined in the Spirit using the Word. third thing, and this is the one I hope that you get beyond the others. Because I, I, love, I love these things here. I love this stuff here. But, but let, me just, let me just say, I, if I would have thought of it early enough, I would have got a big rock up here. Okay? Now imagine, imagine the challenges set before me to say, okay, say I'm in my backyard and, and somebody goes, can you carry that big rock from this side of the yard to the other side? And I'm just the kind of guy that if somebody asked me to do that, I would sure try, right? Who else in here, you'd, do, you'd be the same way? Especially if they say, I bet you can't, right? <laughs> I bet you can't carry that rock from here to there. You're like, oh, yeah, well, I bet I can, you know, and hernia before you get to the end. But you, you, you pick it, right? Now, let's say I pick up the rock, and I make it this far, and I drop it. Oh, pick it up again. Drop it, pick it up again, drop it, pick it up again, drop it, right? I, I keep going. I would understand to a degree the nature of endurance. Would you say that? Trying to keep at it? But let's say somebody else comes over and they goes, right? And let's say same build as me, same strength level as me. Let's say they pick it up. And right about where I dropped it, they're like, you can tell, you can tell, it's there. The sweat is starting to trickle. Right? You ever done something like that where you're like, okay, I should probably sit this down, but I'm not going to, right? And you keep going, right? About right here, you're like, I'm never going to be able to use my arms again. You know? <laughs> right? But there's no way I'm sitting this thing down. Now, now between these two people... In some measure, they both understand the, the challenge of the heavy rock. Let's say this guy, he gets, he gets over here. He makes it to the end. A couple things that you can learn from that guy. One is, how'd you do it? Because I got there and I was like, Forget it. How'd you do it? I mean, he, this guy understands. He gets the, the challenge. 
He's not going to look at somebody that's struggling along the way and go, wimp. He might say, you can do it. Just don't let go. Just, just take that one more step. One more. You can do, just, just take one more. But I'm, I feel like every molecule of my body feels like setting this rock down is the right thing to do in this moment. That person over there is like, I get it. I get it. But just one more step, you can do it. Take one more. Right? This is also the same guy that you, when you do drop and you go, uh, you think about it, you're like, okay, you dropped it that last time. Let's not do it this time. You can take, last time you took three steps, let's do five. <laughs> and when you get to the fifth one, you can go, can I drop it now? They go, no, no, I bet you can do one more. But you don't understand. No, that person would understand. Every temptation was overcome by the Son of God, operating in full humanity, in His full humanity, and doing two things. One, earning for us a righteous life. Ooh, that's important, isn't it? We don't have one of those. There's none good, no, not one. There's not a single person in this room that is righteous before God. There's not a single person in this room that would stand before God and when God would say, well, you're good enough, come on in. We've all committed high treason to the king of the universe and defied him and tried to live life our own ways. We were born into this because we all came from Adam. But Christ does something in this life. He's just starting it here, but through his whole ministry, not once does he sin. Not once. And he earns for us obedience, righteousness, good standing with God. So when he gets to the cross, he says, I'm going to take your sin upon myself and take the penalty of that sin. But I'm going to, the Bible uses words like impute this righteousness to you. So that this is what the scriptures teach. That one day when, when, when you stand before God and, you, and God says, why should I let you in? nobody that's going in is going to say, well, I didn't stab people, so, right, I'm good enough to, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, that kind of evil, so I get to go in, right? The people that are going in are going to say, I, I, got, I got nothing, but Christ gave me his righteousness, and God is going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful, sir. step into your eternity. I see the righteousness of Christ has been given to you, has been imputed on you, and your sin that you deserve to go to hell for eternity for has been paid for by that same Christ. Step into eternity. I don't deserve it. You're right. You don't. Christ did this for you. And so we have this Christ who does it, he earns it. But notice there's a second part to this. Becoming for us, in the process of doing this, it teaches us in Hebrews, becoming for us a compassionate high priest. This high priest that's going to do that, in the meantime, while we're here, and we're dropping the boulder every other day, Jesus is the one that's, he's not sitting there up there going, you stupid. 
That's what we feel like, isn't it? That's, how, that's what we feel like. In, in our heads, we think that's how God, I mean, some of you, I know it's the case. You, that's how you think God is. He's not doing that. The Bible says that he is not doing that because he came and he lived it and he experienced it. And now he, it looks at us and he says, we have a compassionate high priest who understands because he did it. And when you're here and the temptation is heavy, and life isn't going the way you think it ought to go. And Satan's going, did God really say he was going to take care of you? Did God really? I mean, really? I mean, you could just, or you could, you know, I mean, that would kind of relieve. And, you know, in the process, I'll give you everything. And God, he's just trying to keep you down anyway. Satan's whispering those things to you and the boulder is so heavy and the, the sweat is just, you're drenched. Christ is the one that's sitting there going, I understand, I get it. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just go, I get it, this stinks. You should drop it, that's terrible. <laughs> Jesus says, I, I get it, I get it, but you know, you know what, in, in just, just humanity, not giving anything extra, I took another step day by day, and you can do this. You can do this. You can take another step. You can do the right thing right now. A compassionate high priest who understands where you're at. There's not one thing that you can come to this Jesus and say, you don't get it. He's going to say, I, I get it. And from this story, he gets it not just in the little... No, I don't think a, a single person on this planet ever faced him this level. Big gun temptation. It hasn't taken that for me to stumble. <laughs> Satan was like, you know, slingshot. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Christ stood up and did what was right and battled the temptation as man and made it to the end. Now we're here today, and as I preach this truth to you, this is good news. This is great news. Because as much as we failed, he succeeded. And we can learn things by how he did it. We can learn those things. But the, at the end of this, the most important fact of this is that he didn't fail. Remember the notes building up? There was no twang here. There's, there's no like... Well, he was pretty good. There's just one little thing. He didn't, not, not one thing. That's our Jesus. All the way to the end. And so we sit here, and I, I want to encourage you as I pray, to say, Lord, thank you that you made it to the end. Thank you. Thank you. I, I don't mind if you want to try take some take some applications and take that with you, but I, the number one thing, I just want you to say, Lord, Thank you. Thank you that you did this. Jesus didn't just show up and say, okay, I'm going to take care of their sins. He came. He lived. He understands. Earned righteousness for you. A real righteousness of a lived life in the face of temptation. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we close today, Lord, as we close today, I just from my own perspective. Lord, I, I, I just want to acknowledge you as, uh, 
I know this isn't the right way to say it, God, but you're a, you're a great king I'm just I'm so proud of. Unashamed behind all of who you are. Lord, you did it. You went all the way. I ask that that reality, Lord, because that's the reality we need to save us. Lord, I pray that addition of that reality would be an inspiration, a motivation. Let it point us to worship and adoration of you and all that you are and all that you've done. There truly is no other name given among men by which we may be saved. You are our Savior. You are our Messiah. You're our King. You're our prophet. You're our great high priest. And we praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Thank you.